I have to shorten this. I, I can't do my normal uh, series that we're in. We're doing a series on hermeneutics, the science of biblical interpretation from the book of Nehemiah. I can't continue that this morning because I have to shorten what I do. So I'm just going to do something real different. And then we'll be baptizing. Um, I might add, you know, I, I've been feeling old anyway. And then my wife told me, she mentioned to me that today is the first Sunday we came here as pastor 10 years ago. 10 years ago. So, um, but anyway, um, don't even go back and watch those videos. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger is a familiar name. Before he made a name for himself, hang on, don't get upset. Before he made a name for himself in the movie business and then as governor, he was considered a legend in the sport of bodybuilding. He first won Mr. Universe and then he won Mr. Olympia seven times. But even when he was competing, Arnold wasn't pleased with his body. In an interview, he said, when I look in the mirror, I want to vomit. Now, where does that leave the rest of us? Probably most people have body image issues, especially as we age. But there's some room for optimism, because as Christians, we're scheduled to receive new bodies. Philippians 3, verse 20, Paul said, For our citizenship is in heaven, even though we're still taxed here on earth. Doesn't seem fair, does it? Our citizenship is in heaven, from which, meaning from heaven, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase is a direct reference to a prophetical word, we've used it often, called rapture. The word rapture is from the older Latin edition of the Bible. The Latin Vulgate, I might add, was the first book printed on the Gutenberg printing press. That Latin word was translated from the Greek word harpazo. Harpazo means forcibly taken up or to seize and be caught up or snatched up. Actually, the English word harpoon has some of its root basis from that word harpazo. The word rapture describes Jesus returning from heaven and descending to the atmosphere and clouds just above the earth. He then raptures and catches up all Christians from off the earth. In a microsecond, millions and millions of people vanish. There are different suggested positions on the precise chronological timing of the rapture and its connection to the tribulation period. The tribulation period is a prophetical seven-year period of 84 consecutive weeks of literal hell on earth. Remember from our Daniel series, that period is also called Daniel's 70th prophetical week. It is said to be a time of trouble on this earth such as never was before. I hold to the pre-tribulation rapture position. Um, there are other positions that are uh, legitimate, have some merit. Uh, I just happen to hold to the pre-tribulation rapture position, and that position argues that the rapture happens pre, meaning prior to, or before the actual start of the tribulation period. 
A pre-tribulation rapture means that Christians are removed from off the earth before all the tribulation trouble begins. And that's a good thing. Notice verse 20 one more time. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's comment here would indicate that these earliest Christians weren't doomsday preppers counting down the minutes until the tribulation period. Instead, this statement implies those earliest saints waited in anxiousness for the rapture. Notice, we also eagerly, anxiously wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those people weren't anticipating the horrific tribulation period judgments, but were anticipating that Jesus would return to rescue them from off the earth before that tribulation period started. That's a pre-tribulation rapture. And one reason those Christians were anxious, so anxious, for Jesus to return was because God had promised them new bodies. And who doesn't need and want a new body? Each morning I get up, what doesn't hurt doesn't work. It's pathetic. <laughs> verse 21, who, from the, from the preceding verse, this is the Savior, who is Jesus, who Jesus will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his, Jesus, glorious body, according to the working, meaning using the same power by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That statement is describing a spiritual transaction called glorifications. Now don't miss this. There are three theological words that summarize the entire Christian experience from beginning to end. Those words are justification, sanctification, and glorification. Notice the definitions on the note sheet. Justification is a non-repeatable, permanent, spiritual transaction that happens once at someone's salvation and credits Christ's righteousness to that person receiving salvation so that he can then be acceptable to God. Our human righteousness, our human goodness is so inadequate and unacceptable that in scripture it is compared to filthy rags. So to be acceptable to God we need his righteousness. Remember this tongue twister. The righteousness God requires is the righteousness his righteousness requires him to require. One more time, you should memorize this. The righteousness God requires is the righteousness his righteousness requires him to require. We have inadequate righteousness. It's unacceptable to him. So we receive the righteousness of God, the righteousness God requires from his son Jesus, and we receive that through justification at salvation. So Christians are justified. Second word is sanctification. Sanctification is the gradual, ongoing, experiential process that enables, that happens throughout someone's entire Christian experience that enables him to progress in personal holiness and to resemble Jesus more and more in both his attitude and actions. Sanctification is a process, a gradual ongoing process, starting at salvation until we absent, are absent from this earth. It, it conforms us to become more and more and more like Jesus. Then there's glorification. 
Glorification means at the rapture, at this prophetical event we just mentioned, Christians' bodies, bodies are transformed into a glorified, immortal, sinless bodily form that enables them to survive and thrive in heaven. So at salvation, we're justified throughout our Christian experience, we're being sanctified, and then at the end, at the rapture, we're going to be glorified. Our bodies will become immortal and sinless and will resemble that of Jesus. Let me explain how this glorification happens. There are two separate but almost simultaneous phrases, phases to the rapture. One phase is that deceased Christians, those that are dead, are resurrected. And then second, Christians that are still alive are translated. Translation means to change into another form. Now, all of this is found on the note sheet. Uh, there's a chart there. Notice the chart. Jesus returns from heaven to receive us to himself, to rescue us from off this earth at the rapture. And the first part of that rapture experience is the resurrection. Let me explain how that happens. The moment a Christian dies, a separation occurs. His invisible, actual essence and self, his personhood inside him, called his soul or spirit, those words are used on an interchangeable basis, that the essence of who he is, his soul, is extracted or pulled from his body. In a microsecond, his soul then goes on to heaven. And then sometime after that, normally just a matter of days after that, his bodily remains are buried in a casket in the ground or are cremated. That means after a Christian dies, he then exists in two separate locations. His soul, his soulish self, his essence is in heaven and his bodily remains are in a casket or are in an urn on someone's mantle. But the rapture changes that because God reunites those separated components of someone and he does that at the rapture through the means of the resurrection. Jesus resurrects the bodies of those Christians that have died before the rapture occurs. Both buried bodies and cremated bodies from deceased Christians are scheduled to be resurrected from graves and from urns and totally restored to be better than new and then given their non-materials and then their non-material souls that have existed in heaven since their death are also going to join Jesus in his descent from heaven. So think through this. Those human souls that have been in heaven descend with Jesus to the atmosphere above the earth. And then those souls are reinserted into those bodies that are being resurrected from the ground or from an urn, causing them to be once more become a completed and glorified person. That all happens to the means of the resurrection. That's illustrated on the note sheet. A man named Phil Calloway said he and his five-year-old son drove past a cemetery one afternoon. There was a large pile of rocks, pardon me, a large pile of dirt beside a grave that had just been dug. I've seen that often. And his son pointed to that open grave and said, Dad, Dad, look, look, one just got out. <laughs> That actually happens at the rapture. People will be getting out of the graves. 
And that has to be a phenomenal thing to see. It happens so fast, though, it isn't visible. Then a microsecond after the resurrection, Christians that are still alive at the moment the rapture occurs, I hope I'm one of them, I think that'd be fun, um, Christians still alive are going to be translated. Translated means the bodies of those Christians still alive are changed and transformed into a glorified form as they are being caught up in the air to meet Jesus. So in both cases, deceased Christians and Christians still alive are going to receive glorified bodies at the rapture. Those that have been dead, their bodies are resurrected and changed, caught up to meet their souls. Those that are still alive, their bodies are changed as they are caught up. First John also comments on our glorified bodies. First John 3 verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know, this is not speculation, this isn't conjecture, we know that when He, Jesus, is revealed at the rapture, we shall be like Him, Jesus, for we shall see Him, Jesus, as He is. And remember, Jesus exists now in heaven in His post-resurrected glorified form. Christians are scheduled to be glorified, meaning we receive New bodies, bodies that resemble Jesus. Notice the premise. Our glorified bodies after the rapture will resemble the perfect anatomical form Jesus received after his resurrection from the dead. I need to add a caveat. Minus his crucifixion scars. Jesus has retained those scars from the nails in his hands, from the nail in his feet, and from the spear in his side. Jesus has retained those scars as reminders, eternal reminders of his sacrifice for our sins on the cross. We will never have those. He alone has those scars. Let me mention some statements about our resurrected, glorified bodies, scheduled to be the same as Jesus' resurrected body. And understand, this is just barely scratching the surface of this subject. We could speak on this for hours. One is that our new bodies will retain their original identities. Our new bodies will retain their original identities. In John chapter 21... Seven of the original 12 apostles, disciples had been out in a boat fishing all night long. And then in the morning, a post-resurrected Jesus, this is one of his uh, appearances he made after his resurrection, a post-resurrection Jesus stood on the seashore. But because the boat was some distance from the shore, and probably because of morning fog and mist, the disciples weren't able to recognize Jesus at first. The disciples could see there was someone there, but had no clue who that person was. Verse 4, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know. Meaning at that moment, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. Verse 6, And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and then... And, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Verse 7, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved. In John's gospel, when it mentions that disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John himself. John was part of the inner circle. John was assigned the responsibility of caring for Jesus' mother after his death. 
The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Peter is always impulsive. Just, that's what he does, okay? His modus operandi. Verse 8, But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Verse 9, Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a coal of fires there, a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish. 153 large fish, and although there were so many, notice the net was not broken. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Jesus had been there preparing breakfast on the seashore. The disciples got there, and none of them dared to ask the question, uh, we aren't sure, who just, who, who are you? You're wanting to be certain. No. Why? Knowing, knowing that it was the Lord. First, let me categorically reject this common idea that we become angels in heaven. I've heard parents in an attempt to explain to a child about someone that died. And have said to them, you know, Uncle, Uncle Joey, he got his wings. No, Joey didn't get any wings. Joey's not an angel. That doesn't happen. Death is the relocation of someone from one location to another location. Death means the relocation of the Christian from earth to heaven. The location changes, but the person doesn't change from who that person is. Angels are angels, and humans are humans. This book is called Heaven. The author is Randy Alcorn. He is a phenomenal author. He writes both fiction and nonfiction. This might be the most comprehensive book on heaven in print. It's an amazing book. And Randy Alcorn said that if someone named Bob, who is a man on earth, is someone else in heaven, then Bob didn't go to heaven. Think through that. The resurrected Jesus did not become someone else. He was still the same person he was before the resurrection. Jesus was on the shore preparing breakfast. Notice none of these seven disciples asked who this man was because after listening to his fishing instructions and hearing his voice, all of them understood that this was Jesus. Those men recognized him as Jesus, Yeshua, the promised Messiah, because in his resurrected form, he still retained his original identity. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration mentioned in Matthew 17 where Jesus brought his inner circle of disciples consisting of Peter, James, and John up to an anonymous mountain and he was transfigured before them. Transfigured means to transform into something even more amazing. Jesus transfigured himself and changed himself before them into that glorified form he now has in heaven. And at that moment on that mountain, Moses and Elijah revealed themselves to those disciples. Jesus wasn't alone. He brought Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah had been in heaven for centuries at this point and were still recognizable because those men still retained their original identities. And we will do the same thing. I graduated from high school in 1968 
I said earlier, I am old. I understand. I've attended just one class reunion. That reunion was held in 1998, three decades removed from our graduation. I just went to, I was just curious. I had an extremely difficult time recognizing some of our former classmates. It was amazing how aging and bad habits had changed people. Father time, mother nature, and foolish personal choices did a serious job on some of these people. I had to ask some classmates I was able to recognize who other classmates were that I couldn't recognize. It was embarrassing. And then in 2018, our class had another reunion, a 50-year reunion. I couldn't attend. I was here. I had too much going on. Um, our class had 214 graduates. Um, some of them are deceased. Um, I couldn't attend the reunion. I wish I had been able to, but I couldn't. But I was sent a photo of those that attended. I'm assuming about 60, 60 of them or so attended. And I was sent this photo, and I literally didn't recognize even a single classmate. Not one. The changes had been that pronounced. Question, are we going to recognize one another in heaven? The answer is absolutely yes. We're going to retain enough of our original identity that we are recognizable to one another. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 reads, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then in the eternal age face to face. Now, now meaning here and now, I know in part, but then meaning in heaven, I shall know just as I also am known. The inference is that in heaven, we're going to recognize one another. We're going to know one another in a relational sense. My own father will recognize me as his son, and I will recognize him as my father, and that is a phenomenal concept. Think through this. We're going to continue to to be ourselves in the afterlife. Because if we weren't, then who else would we be? If we're in heaven and have a glorified body that doesn't have the same genetic code, fingerprints, historical background, and memories that our body does now, then we didn't actually go to heaven. Someone else did. Jesus did not become someone else after his resurrection. He retained the same person he was before his resurrection. Some people teach that our glorified bodies are going to represent an androgynous condition, an androgynous condition that transcends gender distinctiveness and results in a form that is a combination of both male and female. That's absolute foolishness. Jesus wasn't an indeterminate gendered person post-resurrection. He wasn't androgynous. No one mistook him for a female. Jesus was male. He's mentioned using male pronouns both before and after the resurrection. So we retain our original identities, just as Jesus did. Our identities also include our names. I might add, we are going to be given an additional new name in heaven, but we retain our original names. We know that the names of the 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel are imprinted on heaven's Twelve gates. We know that the names of the twelve apostles are imprinted on heaven's twelve foundations. So we will all retain our names. Second, our new bodies will be physical as opposed to spiritual. Physical as opposed to spiritual. Luke 24 verse 36. 
Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Verse 37, But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. Verse 38, And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? Verse 39, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, touch me, feel me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus was not resurrected from the dead as a phantom or ghost. Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but in a spirit form, not bodily form. That isn't what happened. Jesus wasn't resurrected as a spirit being floating around, unable to interact with people and things around him. But he was resurrected in the form of a tangible, visible, material body that had all five senses in perfect operating order. He could taste, touch, smell, hear, and see. It is at this point people are so curious to know, since our glorified bodies are going to resemble Jesus' post-resurrection glorified form, then what color was his skin? Jesus was of Jewish descent from the Middle East, and since he was constantly exposed to the hot desert sun, we assume his skin was some shade of brown. So does that mean our new bodies, since we're going to resemble his body, our new bodies are all going to have the same brownish skin as he does? I wish, but probably not. Jesus' skin color after his resurrection was the same as his skin color before the resurrection because his skin color was part and parcel integral to his unique identification as Jesus. Revelation 5 verse 9, Revelation 7 verse 9 seem to teach that racial and ethnic identities here are going to continue on into heaven. If so, and if our skin color now and here is brown or black, then it's going to be brown or black in heaven. If it's a melanin-deprived white now, as is mine, then it's going to be a melanin-deprived white in heaven. People ask me, why don't you wear shorts in the summer? You do not want to see that. You do not. You will, you will be blinded, literally. Because we retain our original identities. I might add, heaven is a no-sin zone. So it doesn't matter what color someone's skin is there. And people, it shouldn't matter to us now what color someone's skin is I am so tired of the race card. People are pulling the race card all the time throughout the media. No one promotes racism more than the secular media and those on the left. Actor Morgan Freeman, a black man himself, not a conservative per se, said, the best way to end racism is to stop talking about it. Let me add in a technical sense, there is just one race, and that is the human race. We are all members of the homo sapiens species. God has created us all in his image. And if we would just honor and respect that in one another, then racism would cease to exist. But there's this question. How old are we in heaven? This is a relevant question. <laughs> Jesus left this earth at age 33. 33 and a half, some believe. Since we resemble Jesus in heaven... Does that mean 
we're going to have a fixed, apparent, perpetual, permanent age of 33? That's entirely possible. But what about babies? Babies die, we believe. From a biblical perspective, babies that die here go, it's instant heaven for them. Um, are babies that die here still infantile in heaven? Are older people here still seniors and aged in heaven? The guess is, and again, this is a guess, that in heaven, babies are fast-forwarded or advanced in age to 33 to resemble Jesus. And the older people, me, are rewound in age to age 33. Now, I don't remember 33, but I think it was good. But if that's the case, then there aren't infants and small children and there aren't seniors in heaven because we're all the same apparent age as Jesus, 33. Now, if you came to church depressed, that alone should excite you. <laughs> Number three is that our new bodies will be able to execute normal human functions. Normal human functions. Luke 24, verse 41. But while they still did not believe for joy... And marveled, he, Jesus, said to them, Have you any food here? Verse 42, So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. Verse 43, And he took it, meaning Jesus took the broiled fish and the honeycomb, notice, and ate in their presence. Notice that Jesus, in his post-resurrected body, is able to eat. He ate honeycomb and some broiled fish. Also notice, before his resurrection and after his resurrection. Jesus wasn't a vegan. Jesus wasn't a vegetarian. As a Jewish man, he also celebrated the Passover meal, meaning he ate lamb at that meal, and lamb is considered red meat. Now, if you choose to be a vegan or a vegetarian, you have the liberty in Christ to do that. I pity you, but that's fine. You can do that. I do believe before the original sin in the garden, the first man and woman were vegetarians. And I'm forced to conclude that in heaven we're also going to be vegetarians because death cannot exist in heaven and that includes animals that would have to die in order to be eaten if we were carnivorous there. That's the reason I have this strong compulsion to consume all the barbecue I can now before heaven. I'm serious. The only problem I have is hard to find good barbecue on the West Coast. Got to go to Kansas City. Right, Hopi? That's right. Preach it, right? That's right. <laughs> Jesus, in his post-resurrected form, did eat food and did drink, but it wasn't essential for him to do that in order to survive. He did that for social reasons and for personal satisfaction. And that's the same for us in heaven. Also, I have a hunch in heaven, calories are non-existent, okay? Speech is a normal, yes, speech is a normal human function. So people are curious about the language that is spoken in heaven. Some argue that there's just one language in heaven, period, one language. Because it was man's sin in Genesis 11, uh, the Tower of Babel, 
that caused God to scatter mankind and create the different languages and dialects. And so, according to them, multiple languages and dialects was never God's original intention. It was only the result of man's sin. If that's true, um, and there's just one language in heaven, some suggest heaven's singular language is ancient Hebrew. If that's the case, then Tony Keating has an advantage over the rest of us. He doesn't have to take a crash course. He already knows it. Um, but the argument is, well, Jesus spoke Hebrew, yes, and Jesus also spoke Aramaic, and Jesus also spoke ancient Greek. So no one knows. But it's also possible, because we retain our original identities, that could include our original principal language. But if so, then we would each need to be multi, 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 multilingual to be able to understand and speak all the languages that would exist in heaven. I don't know. All I know is communication will not be a problem there. Number four is that our new bodies will be perfect in form. Perfect in form. The human anatomy is amazing, even in its fallen, sinful condition. One example of that are the capabilities of the five human senses. The average person, normal eyesight, on a dark, unclouded night, is able to see a single candle's flame burning from 30 miles away. The average person can smell a single drop of perfume that has been diffused in a three-room apartment. The average person can taste just 0.04 ounces of table salt dissolved in 530 quarts of water. Someone's sense of touch is so sensitive, it can detect a pressure so slight that it only depresses the skin 0.00004 thousandths of an inch on the face or fingertips. And his hearing is so keen, he can tell where a sound is originating from, even if it arrives at one ear, just 0.0003 thousandths of a second before it gets to the other ear. But as incredible as our bodies are now, God has promised the Christian an even more amazing anatomical con constitution. The consensus is that the imperfections we have at this moment are going to be remedied in heaven. That means if our appearance and our health has been altered in this life through some addiction or disease or genetic or ge congenital problem or injuries or abuse, then those unfortunate traits and undesirable characteristics we have now are not carried over into heaven. Um, during first service, I mentioned someone has suggested we rename our church First Church of the Bad Back. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, most, most of the men in our congregation and some women have either had back surgery or are scheduled to have back surgery, including me. I mean, people, we're falling apart down here. I mean, it's, it's pathetic, okay? But just imagine, in heaven, we're going to possess anatomical perfection. I know that's hard to imagine because we're so far from it, but that's the case. And that's assuming also that ugliness isn't going to be a problem in heaven. Although it's still an issue here, I understand. Some time ago, the Santa Cruz, California City Council, only in California, the Santa Cruz, California City Council added, quote, lookism, lookism, to the list of politically incorrect transgressions. 
A measure was drafted which would prevent discrimination on the basis of someone's personal appearance. I read that a Miss Dawn Atkins, the head of something called the Body Image Task Force, said she gets calls from lots and lots of less than attractive people who claim their less than attractiveness have prevented them from being hired for a job. Now that's hard for me to believe because I look in the mirror each morning and people, I'm still employed. <laughs> so how can that be? Our bodies are going to be perfect and those that are now less fortunate and considered disadvantaged and disabled are in heaven going to have all of the advantages and all of the abilities that other residents in heaven have. No one there is going to be less than perfect. In one of his lighter moments, Benjamin Franklin penned his own epitaph. That doesn't happen often. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was an admirer and friend to famous New England colonies evangelist George Whitfield, an amazing evangelist. But he never claimed to be an evangelical Christian. But the biblical teaching on the bodily resurrection seemed to have some influence on him. Listen to his epitaph. The body of B. Franklin, printer, and he was a printer. Like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, meaning in the grave, food for worms. But the work, meaning the deceased body, shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. And that author is God himself. That's good insight for a man that never claimed Christianity. Number five, our new bodies will not have limitations. Our bodies will not have limitations. Luke 24, verse 29. But they constrained him, Jesus, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Verse 31, Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, meaning these men recognized Jesus, and he vanished from their sight. After his resurrection, Jesus and two men he had met from the village in Emmaus, sat down to eat a meal together, and then all of a sudden, after he prayed and passed around the food, he vanished into thin air. Jesus became instantly invisible and went somewhere else unknown to us. In that same sense in heaven, we aren't subjected to the normal laws of gravitation and limitations on time and space. Consider some means of modern transportation. Walking, running, a tricycle, a bicycle, Motorcycle, Segway scooters, horse, camel, snowmobile, skis, surfboard, car, truck, bus, plane, helicopter, off-road vehicles, skateboard, hot air balloon, a supersonic high-altitude aircraft, and even a pogo stick. But since we resemble Jesus in our glorified bodies, we can do what he did. And that is to relocate ourselves through thought. Think about going into the next room, boom, we're there. Think about hanging out in another part of heaven, and in a microsecond, we're there. There's more in John 20. The disciples met together in a private room, and although all the doors were closed and assumed locked, Jesus, in his post-resurrected body, walked right into the room. His material body 
stepped right through a material wall and he never left a hole or even an indention in the wall. That doesn't happen now. That means our glorified bodies are not going to have material limitations. Someone adapted this line about a familiar, famous, fictitious superhero we all recognize. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's me and my glorified body. I made that up. Uh, number six is that our new bodies will be incorruptible and immortal. Our bodies will be incorruptible and immortal. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. And this text references the rapture. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Sleep is used throughout Scripture as a metaphor, meaning death, to die. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed when does this change occur at the rapture? Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we, meaning we who are still alive at the moment of the rapture, shall be changed. Verse 53, for this corruptible, we are corruptible now, must put on incorruption. And this mortal, we are mortal now, must put on immortality. Incorruptible means cannot be corrupted not subject to deterioration decay. Immortal means cannot die. It means an unending, perpetual existence. Immortal means it is eternal. Our glorified bodies never age and never die. Understand something. I said this yesterday at the memorial service for Sandra Gertner. And it was the largest service we've ever had here. Death, heaven, means the death of death. Death does not exist in heaven. And that excites me. Because to die means to say goodbye. Even if that goodbye is temporary, as in the case of a Christian. In heaven, there are no more goodbyes because there is no death. Immortality. I heard about a little boy that had been misbehaving in his Sunday school class. That's probably something quite common. It just so happened that this teacher had been teaching the biblical account of creation. And so she stopped in the middle of the lesson and she said to him, Johnny, Johnny, who made you? He said, God did. She said, well, Johnny, it would seem from your behavior this morning that he didn't do a very good job. Johnny said to the teacher, yeah, well, that's because he's not finished with me yet. <laughs> and he isn't, is he? He isn't finished with us until we are glorified and receive our new bodies at his return via the rapture. People, I'm counting on it. I hope you are too. Let's bow our heads. If you're here this, today and you're a baptism candidate, um, I'm going to excuse you quietly to exit, to go prepare, to change for baptism. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope you give us that this earth is not all that there is that there's so much more awaiting us in heaven. Just imagine we can have perfect bodies. I'm so grateful. No more pain, no more suffering, no more aging, no more tears, no more death. I'm so grateful. God, my heart and concern today is if there's anyone here in this room that's never received Christ so that they can have that guarantee of a new body, 
I pray they would even today, after this service, approach me and say, Pastor, can we talk? I'd love to share with them how they can have Christ too and how that someday they can have a body just like his. Thank you for what we've learned. I hope and pray it'll make a difference in each of us. Bless the baptisms to follow. And I pray and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.